Since the dawn of time, mankind has searched for ways to shelter themselves from the elements. Over the centuries, these shelters have evolved from bamboo huts to concrete towers. The last few years, there's been a push to save the planet. Are you ready to embark on a more sustainable lifestyle? Look no further. You're about to enter the adventures of container home living. And now, contractor, radio and TV personality, and your host for Boxcar Universe, Steve Dubell. Hi, I'm Steve Dubell, host of Boxcar Universe, along with my co-host, Mel Alva. And here's what's coming up on this week's edition of Boxcar Universe. With us is John Adams, Deputy Director and Chief Operating Officer of Freight Farms at the Biosphere 2 University of Arizona in Tucson. And he will give us an inside look at what they're doing and how they're changing the way we think about growing food. Also, you know, it's that holiday time again where we think about having friends and family over for dinner and get-togethers. We also need, however, to think about the electrical safety of our homes and how your electrical usage is being affected by all the different things you do this time of season. Sean LaPointe from Mr. Electric will be here letting us know the do's and don'ts of excessive use of electric around the holidays and how to be safe. All that and more on this week's edition of Boxcar Universe, your home for container sustainable lifestyle living. And, uh, as uh, we were talking before the show, Mel, we're, we're, we're trying to get everything together because uh, Thanksgiving is upon us, and I don't know where the year went to. What do you say about that? I just can't even believe it. I, I'm, I just can't. I don't believe it's it's uh, November already. Yeah, agreed. I'm I'm just shocked. Where did the year go? And the fact, of course, is we're in the most beautiful time in Arizona, which is awesome. Absolutely. You know, for those of you living out in the uh, outer reaches of eastern United States in the upper tundra region, as we like to call it, I know it's it's probably getting chilly up there, but, you know, daytimes here in Arizona, um, 70s and 80s, it's, uh, you know, it's funny, you know, I, I'm sure people back there are going to be wondering, like, you, you, you have outdoor get-togethers in at Thanksgiving? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's what we do. It's why we live in Arizona. So, you know, as we were getting, uh, as we were getting abused during the summer when it was 115 degrees, and it was like, why are you living in such a place? But uh, you know, the, living in a desert does have its advantages. And uh, and for those of you who have never visited Arizona, it's the only state that I've ever been in where you can not only have you know, you could experience the nice warm weather when, and I mean, sometimes it's excessive, yes, but then you could also drive a couple hours north and you're skiing. I mean, how could you beat that? That's right. Yeah. Amazing. That's it, what I'll be doing this weekend. Uh oh, skiing? You're going to send pictures. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for okay. Sure. I want to see you on skis. Well, I might be a snowboard this time. That's so. good. Okay. All right. Snowboards will do. Okay. Yeah, I could do both. That'll be good. And, you know, uh, one of the things we, we, we talked about a few months ago, we talked about the uh, the idea of having uh, 
containers used to actually grow food, and they're called freight farms. And uh, we've been working very diligently with uh, people uh, where they're based in Mel's in Mel's hometown, Boston, Mass. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've been uh, in touch with John Adams, who is at the Biosphere 2 down in Tucson. And uh, John is with us online right now. John, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know it's been a little rough trying to get you scheduled, but I appreciate you taking the time out before Thanksgiving to uh, to be with us on the show. Welcome to Boxcar Universe. Oh, well, thank you both very much. I mean, it's great to be online with both uh, you and Mel. And yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing with your audience sort of what we're doing here at Bias for Two and some of the unique growing applications that we have that, you know, maybe some people have heard about, but not a, not a whole lot. So I hope we can shed some light on that. Yeah, I think that would be good. And for, yeah, I would definitely want to cover some of the things that in case people haven't got the uh, got the got the memo yet that we can grow food in what we call shipping containers. And there's a lot of different uses for shipping containers. But, you know, uh, earlier this year when I came across uh, freight farms and I got very intrigued by what they're doing and and how they do it. So why don't you fill our listeners in a little bit about um, you and the mission and what you're doing down at the Biosphere 2? Yeah, so... I mean, for, you know, for some, they probably remember Biosphere 2 as sort of this really sort of out of the box uh, facility that was built in the late 80s, early 90s, and eight people were sealed inside and they were sealed inside for two years. And the whole notion was, is could they use these biological communities that they put inside for their existence and their existence, you know, consisted of those biological communities balancing the atmosphere, so taking up CO2, producing oxygen. And then they also had a separate uh, an area inside the facility where they grew their agricultural crops. And so the combination of this whole entire space is a little over three acres. It's under glass. It was hermetically sealed. And, you know, they did a, a remarkable job, in my opinion. Sure. Did they have some sort of very valuable lessons learned? Absolutely. Um, but overall, it worked really well. And and at that time, and even today, there's nothing that rivals it inside. And so today, jumping forward, uh, the University of Arizona down here in Tucson is actually using this as the world's largest uh, controlled environment to understand the impacts of our changing planet. And so uh, what that means is that as temperature goes up, how do these ecosystems respond as temperature goes down? And we've expanded our research outside of the glass to include growing agricultural crops in a couple of different ways. And one of them you've mentioned, Steve, is the freight farm. So we got our container farm from freight farms a little over a year and a half ago. Um, but in conjunction with that, we're also, and one of our faculty is growing agricultural crops underneath solar panels. And, you know, we can dive into sort of the benefits of both of these systems, but we're actually looking to combine them. And I can expand on that here in a bit as well. That sounds yeah. That sounds very very interesting, and I think um, the research work that has been done in the past, along with uh, where you've taken it, because it seems like what you're describing is um, you're taking what was originally started with the biosphere uh, and taking it to a you know a different level as as we grow uh, intellectually and scientifically. Uh, always continually seeking out ways 
to be able to better ourselves and to be able to be more productive. And I think that's, I think that's where you're going with this. I am. And, you know, uh, you know, bias for early on was one of the first places to show how, for example, corals reefs are going to be impacted by increasing uh, CO2, how uh, we have a fully established tropical rainforest, how it is, you know, how it's going to respond to a drought or increases in temperature or changes in carbon dioxide. And we can do that virtually better than anybody else because we have these systems completely under glass. And, you know, in our rainforest, we have over 100 species. Um, but you're right. You know, one of the other key factors is not just these natural ecosystems, but growing food. And for us, the the shipping container was a nice complement to what we're doing because, you know, our freight farm, we have the greenery, yes. And, um, you know, it's a 40 foot shipping container. So it's about 320 square feet as its footprint. But what's remarkable is the amount of crop that you can grow inside of there in a relatively short time frame, um, how much water savings you have. Um, and so, you know, when we got our system up and running, it took us a little bit, but, you know, we on average, we're producing, you know, about 800 heads of butter lettuce on a weekly basis once we got everything sort of rotating through. And if you're familiar with the Green ERS, you'll know that it's basically got uh, four growing panels that run almost the entire length of the shipping container. Um, and on each side of those, you know, we would plant and you would have them at different growth stages, again, which which resulted in us being able to cycle through and harvest a panel a week um, and then transplant on that same day from our nursery, which is also inside of the shipping container, um, into uh, the wall, the grow wall. Um, and this is, you know, this is unlike a lot of traditional, you know, we hear we hear the term vertical farm, right? And I think all of us envision these large warehouses and you've got these horizontally oriented grow beds and they are stacked vertically, you know, in some cases, you know, very tall heights. Well, this is, in my opinion, a true vertical farm. So the, the, the grow wall actually hangs from the top of the container down to almost the bottom. So it's vertically oriented. Um, it has within that panel actually sub panels that provide uh, where the plants are placed. Um, and so you have a, basically a, a small seed core um, of, made up of peat and some other material. You stick your seed in there, you propagate it. Once it gets uh, to a certain point in its life cycle, then you transplant it into the wall um, and everything is self-contained. So at the end of the farm, it's really cool because you've got your reservoir, you have your dosing, components up front. So as long as you keep those where you need them to be, you don't have to do a lot. And then once the plants are inside of these panels, there's two pieces of the foam that hold them together. And in the center of that foam is like a wicking material. And that carries the water and the nutrients to the root of the plants. And so it's really remarkable um, of how efficient it is. And you know what was exciting for us is not only did it give us an opportunity to really test out this new way of growing, but we also provide opportunities for students from the University of Arizona and the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences to get involved and learn how to operate and run, run one of these. As you can imagine, I said, you know, we're producing about 80 to 100 pounds of leafy greens a week. Now, what are we going to do with all of that? As much as I like salad, you, you just can't eat that much. That's just um, too much. <laughs> yeah, so we were, we were actually have a partnership with the University of Arizona's campus pantry. So we were donating a portion there. And then just down the road from Bias for Two in a small community called Catalina, 
there's another pantry called um, Impact of Southern Arizona. And so we were donating um, most of our materials to them after he waited and, and did some analysis. So it was a, it's been a great partnership for us and a great opportunity to expose students who are going to potentially be making careers in these types uh, of jobs, um, opportunities to learn exactly how you do it. Do, do, I, I'm curious, um, the, uh, the students that go to ASU, how, how do they get introduced to your, into this, this system and, and uh, are there many of them? I mean, or and how do they get introduced to, you know, uh, growing in this way? Yeah. So our students are from the University of Arizona, UA, not ASU. So um, I live here That's in okay. Tucson. I won't hold it. A little, little bit of a rivalry. <laughs> we're, we're coming up on Thanksgiving weekend and, uh, you know, we've got a big football game. Oh, yeah. Uh, on Saturday between the U of a, University of Arizona and Arizona State University. But for the University of Arizona, we actually have faculty who are using uh, freight farms and what we're doing here at Bias for Two and incorporating them into their classes. So a lot of students will learn about it and then approach us for internships. We also do solicit for internships for students through um, some of the uh, the online and campus means to let people know that you've got a job or an internship availability. And so then we'll get students out um, and they'll come out and work. Um, and it's great because they help us out and we give them an opportunity to learn and explore something new. Yeah, I think that is definitely, definitely something new that people could definitely, if they're interested in, uh, I'm sure this, this could go very deep into the studies and the, and the scientific aspect of it on, you know, cause you see stuff online, you know, people turn around and they said, well, you know, it's, well, I saw one the other day when I was doing some research and stuff and somebody made a comment like, well, it's not real food. I mean, how could it not be real food? I just think they thought that because it wasn't growing horizontally and it was, no, and there was no dirt that it wasn't real. That it just goes to show you that there's an educational aspect here that people need to understand that, yes, you can grow food and it's a different way of doing it, which, you know, going back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, probably wasn't even thought of. Yeah, and, and we know that hydroponic growing is really efficient. Um, yes, it does require you to be able to do some things. Um, and stay on top of your chemistry and your water balance because the plants will let you know if there's anything out of balance. But um, when you grow them inside of the shipping container, so so what we're able to do and what freight farms will tout is that in this 320 square feet, what we can produce annually inside the farm is equivalent to that of two and a half acres outside. I mean, for me, that's remarkable. And you know, for us here in the desert where water is of a premium, and when we're under full production, we're only using about five gallons of water a day for all of those heads of lettuce. Remember, we're growing about 800 heads. If we use butter lettuce as an example, 800 heads of butter lettuce per wall, and there's four walls, okay? So, I mean, that's an incredible number of heads of lettuce all on about five gallons a day. And that's, that's four walls both sides. Uh, well, that no, that's that's four walls. That it's two walls, both sides. Two walls, both sides, and then one on each end of the container. Yeah, yeah. It, that it's just it's just you know, it, it's just mind boggling when you think about the the concept. So tell what other kind of you know 
crops do you grow besides the lettuce? Or and, and is is it something that is is only one and for how long? How's the how's all that? How do you put a plan like that together on what you need to grow? Well, I mean, for us, to be honest with you, it was very much a trial and error and and sort of just trying different things over the last year. Um, so we got a better idea of it. So we've talked a lot about, you know, I've said I've said butter lettuce a lot. So we've done several different varieties of butter lettuce, but we've grown bok choy. We've grown arugula. Uh, we've grown kale. Uh, we've grown even spinach. Um, we've grown basil inside there, uh, both your sort of your traditional green and your red basil. Um, we've grown romaine lettuce inside. Um, so, you know, we've really been able to diversify what we have grown, uh, you know, inside of their mustard greens as an collard greens is another example. All of these have done really well. And for us, we, you know, one thing is, is, okay, what can we grow? Secondly, the other component of it's been working with our local pantries to see what their patrons would like to have. Um, and so that gives us an opportunity to try a few things. Now, I will say that so the the one if, if you had to look at, you know, there's obviously pros and cons to everything. And so, you know, one of the limitations for a freight farm is you're not going to be able to grow those more heavily like root crops. Um, you're not going to be able to grow things like tomatoes, because, again, these walls are vertically oriented. They're not horizontal. But I will I do want to tell you and the audience about a really cool project. I mentored a group of engineering students last semester, and we tasked them or I tasked them with coming up with an idea of how to integrate renewable energy with the freight farm so that potentially we could take this completely off grid. And this actually stems from one of our research areas that our faculty has been doing here a lot, and it's called agrivoltaics. And so this is where you grow agricultural crops, very traditional agricultural crops underneath the shade of solar panels and sort of arid, hot climates like that that we have right here in southern Arizona. Well, that's great. I want to get into a little more in depth about that, but I want to take a short break. But when we come back, we're going to have more from John and more about the Biosphere 2 and the great things and the unique things that he's doing down there. And obviously, the this what we're going to be talking about is future growing in different ways and utilizing renewable energy. That's one of the things that we always try and talk about here on the show, sustainable, renewable energy and renewable products. So I want everybody to hang tight. You're listening to Boxcar Universe. Alva with Alva Interiors and co-host of Boxcar Universe. As a professional interior designer with over 22 years experience, I'm excited to bring my knowledge to the Boxcar Universe show. As a full-service interior design studio, we see your designs from the conceptual phase through to the styling and furnishing of your home. At Alva Interiors, our team approaches every design project with a fashion-meets-design sense to execute timeless interiors style that makes a statement. You can find us on the web at alvainteriorsaz.com, 
on Facebook at Alva Interiors AZ and on Instagram at Alva Interiors. Hi, I'm Sean with Mr. Electric and I have a tip to help make your life better. One important reminder is to call a qualified electrician when you have frequent problems with blowing fuses or tripping circuit breakers. When a circuit breaker trips or a fuse blows, it's indicating that you have a problem with some other part of the circuit. If your breaker trips more than once, you should have a qualified electrician come out and take a look at it. Contrary to what may be acceptable, you really shouldn't try to continuously try to reset the breaker because there may be a problem somewhere else down the circuit and you could be causing a fire hazard. There could be a loose connection or some other form of problem on the circuit, and every time you reset the circuit breaker, it could be causing a spark at the other end. We recommend having a qualified electrician come out and check on the condition of the circuit and make sure that the circuit does not have any problems. And it could just be a bad breaker also, but you definitely want to have a qualified electrician check that out. To have someone come out from our team may only take a portion of a day, but it could potentially save you a lot of money or your life. And that's just another way Mr. Electric has the power to make your life better. We are back, and you're listening to Boxcar Universe. And in uh, case you uh, cut uh, touch base with us late, we are here with John Adams, the Deputy Director and Chief Operating Officer of Freight Farms at the Biosphere 2 University of Arizona in Tucson. And uh, as we touch base on uh, on that on the one item before the break, we're going to get into a little bit more of some of the new things that they're getting into. Uh, and for those of you, I'm sure you, there's a lot of football fans out there, John, that, like you said, there's a, there's a yearly rivalry. Sometimes it gets a little intense, but you more than more, it's, it's interesting how the, those two colleges usually you go after each other and, and play, usually play a hell of a game. So it's all our, all our college football fans. Make sure you, uh, tune that in and check your local station for, uh, whether you are a U of A fan or an ASU fan, um, it gets quite intense. But, uh, but Mel, you know, with all those things that John was talking about before the break that they're growing down there, I think we should take a trip and go down, go down and and visit and see what we can get for Thanksgiving dinner. What do you think? I mean, don't I wish I had the time to do that? Have you been to the Biosphere anytime at all? No, no. I have it. I have. You have? What was your, yeah. how was your experience? How long ago was that? Long time ago. The kids were very young. Oh, okay. So basically when, like John was talking about in the early stages, when, uh, was it, were you there when the people were sealed in? No, they weren't. I don't know if they were currently living there or if they had just ended. Um, but it was quite interesting to see how they were living and uh, they do have like a, I just remember there being like a rainforest and an ocean even. I don't know if I'm imagining things, but I'm pretty positive there was like salt water or something. No, you're you're right, Mel. There, there we have a beach right here in Southern Arizona. beach. And it's inside That's, Biosphere too with, with ex- a, the yes. box of salt water. I'll be right there. Exactly. <laughs> a beach. It's so, it was so interesting. And just like everything kind of looked like a little maze. 
people living in the desert would some people would kill to go to the beach. <laughs> Instead, it was like it's a lot shorter to go to Tucson and go to the beach at the biosphere than travel all the way to uh, San Diego. Yeah, it it was very interesting. Um, you know, we were actually on our way to Tucson. I'd like to take the kids to the old tombstone or whatnot. Um, and decided we would stop there. But I used to homeschool my kids quite a bit. So everything was a, a teaching moment. You know, everything had a lesson involved in it. So um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, uh, you know, here in next month or two, uh, coming down and uh, shooting some video and sharing that with our listeners too. So they can, they can actually see some of the things that, you're doing down there because I know some people, some they, it, it's tough for them to envision growing vertically, you know. But um, it, it's just amazing that uh, you know because we have so many containers that are that are brought over from uh, other countries when we import products, and then uh, to to be able to have to use to be able to use them in a way in a useful way knowing that they just won't, you know, be put in a yard somewhere, you know, and rust away till uh, the end of time, you know? So I think the, using the freight farm is actually, it, it's a great way of doing it. But then you, John, you've taken this to another level, especially with what we're going to talk about now with the agrivoltaics. Tell us a little bit about that project. All right. So, yeah, agrivoltaics um, got started in the mid 80s in Germany, and it never really sort of took off because the German climate just wasn't suitable. But one of our faculty, you know, started to investigate this idea here more recently and the, you know, the dry climate that we have where it's really hot. And just by shading the plants underneath some, some shade, you significantly reduced uh, their need for water and you actually improved their health, extended their growth season, and you overall saw an increase in their productivity. And so then he thought, well, you know, solar panels are great in the Southwest, but one of the big drawbacks is they get too hot. So, you know, with these electrical circuits, as temperature goes up, uh, efficiency goes down. And so what if you could sort of modulate that, keep them a little bit cooler um, so they didn't get as warm? And we all know that plants transpire, they give off water, um, and some do more than others. But when he grew the crops underneath the solar panels, what he saw was a mutual benefit. The panels stayed cooler because that, that moisture that was coming off the plants, that, that evapotranspiration was hitting the underside of the panels. And as it evaporates, it took some of that heat away. And even just reducing the panel temperature by a couple de degrees makes a significant impact on its productivity, improving it. And then growing the plants underneath, he saw that they did a whole lot better than those plants that were grown in full sun. And in fact, what he found is that plants that were grown in the shade of the panels used to start off with, he hasn't even pushed the boundary yet, 50% less water. I mean, that's huge. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just incredible in a region where we are, you know, water deficient. And so this was a great way. And so what we thought now, the next step was, is that, you know, the freight farm uses very little water. But one of the things that it does is it's a pretty big energy hog, as I'll say. But what if we could offset that? So I group, I worked with a group of engineering students last semester, and we designed, they designed a system that would be attached to the freight farms 
have solar panels. And so now what you've got is you've got energy production for the farm. You've got the outside area underneath the panels that is a much more suitable grow environment for those taller statured plants. You know, you can grow your tomatoes or your zucchini, or maybe you want to grow carrots or radishes. You can do that outside. They're going to do a whole lot better in the shade. They're not going to use as much water. And then inside, where you're supplying the electricity to keep the farm cool and suitable, you can grow all of your leafy greens that you otherwise wouldn't be able to grow outside. And we're not quite there yet, but I will say that there is a company up in Phoenix. Um, it's actually a spin out of ASU. Um, but this company actually extracts water from the atmosphere. And we're looking at getting a couple of their hydro panels and attaching to the freight farm. So not only will we have electrical production, but these hydro panels pull water out of the air and store it. And we're gonna use that to offset the water that the farm needs. So in theory, what we're hoping to be able to do later this year is actually build this all out. Right now it's all in drawings and we're going through all the calculations, but to actually build it out. And then you would have a farm that would not need, would have little to no dependence on the electrical grid and have little to no dependence on your water resources as well, because it's all of that's going to be taken in from the atmosphere or generated from the sun. Well, and that's that that is just it's mind boggling to be able to think about how that in and you've got the whole natural progressive cycle from water to the sun and you're having one offset the other one. And it's it's just it's just incredible. And do you know how much do you know how much energy the farm actually uses in kilowatts? Yeah. So, um, so for uh, a kilowatt hour, so, you know, you can get on freight farms website and they do a great job at sort of giving you a range. But for us here, what we found is we use anywhere between 180 and 200 kilowatt hours a day. So it's a lot. Um, and so, you know, we're going to need a pretty sizable uh, field of solar panels. Um, especially if you're looking at, you know, we're, we're going to try to push the envelope and look at some of these more advanced solar panels that, you know, are pushing 700 watts. But the ones that we did the initial calculation with were, were those that were about 435 yeah. uh, watts. Um, so, you know, it's going to be somewhere in between there, but that's the one drawback. It does require quite a bit of energy. But again, if you can offset it with electrical production and you've got some battery storage, you've got something that you could put virtually anywhere and not worry about how close is that electrical line or where is that water line. Yeah, I yeah I can understand I can understand what you're saying about the the usage because you know the solar panels we put on on homes and businesses are right around that 400 kilowatts per hour. So yeah, anything above and beyond that would be something much more enhanced to be able to you know to be able to do exactly what you're what you're doing, but. Um, yeah, I can imagine it's got to be uh, quite a bit in, in the way of calculating all this and putting it together. And I'm sure there's going to be a little trial and error, just like I'm sure when you put the farm together um, to fit exactly what you're doing. And then tying it into an educational aspect of it, um, it's, it's touching on so many good aspects to help the community. It's It's just incredible. Yeah, no, we feel really fortunate. And like I said, Freight Farm, in my opinion, has put together an incredible product. Um, you know, there are a lot of other uh, container farms out there. But, you know, when when I really started to sort of investigate, uh, they had the features that 
for me were extremely important and it had put it together in really a, a turnkey package. Um, and that was nice because I didn't have to worry about coming up with the software or this, that, or the other thing. I, all we have to worry about is growing the plants. Um, and that's where we wanted to focus on. And, you know, what's, what's really incredible about the University of Arizona, the University of Arizona is a land grant institution. So much of its roots in, is in servicing the communities and, and no pun intended, but also to promote and foster this outreach, and in particular, this, this agricultural community, um, and supporting them and the needs that they have. And so there's an entire college that's dedicated to agricultural and life sciences. And, and one of one facet of that college is the Controlled Environment and Agriculture Center, where they specifically train students to be able to go out into the world and run these types of facilities, whether it's a greenhouse, a, you know, a container, or work in agricultural settings, and to improve the efficiency, to optimize uh, these systems so that they're not as big of a drain on the resources that are becoming more and more limited. Yeah. And I know you had mentioned in our previous discussions about uh, your uh, planning on growing mushrooms. We are. So... Actually, if you came down to our farm today, we are phasing out the leafy greens, and we've partnered uh, with one of the faculty at the University of Arizona who is really looking at, you know, can we grow mushrooms inside of these freight farms? And, he, and he's got some specific uh, research topics that he's looking at doing. He, he's got a new way uh, that he's looking to patent how to grow mushrooms. Um, so we're really excited about this partnership, and I can't talk about a lot about what we're actually now growing mushrooms inside of our freight farm. Um, and so we're excited. We just started this uh, about two weeks ago. And so we had our first crop because we just tried one bag and now we've got, you know, we've got about 18 bags of mushrooms. It's this primordia material that's inside of a bag uh, with the mushrooms coming out or growing out, if you've seen that. Um, and we're looking to expand that. You know, one of the other really cool things is we are also working with some folks at the Phoenix Medical School, um, and they're very interested in using the freight farm to grow plants in a very controlled and repeatable manner. But then they've got ideas and notions about how they can extract certain components out of the plant. They can pull out of those cells and then load back in uh, medication that can then be given to you and I to help very specific and very targeted treatment of tumors or different types of ailments. And so we're really excited about this partnership. And, and these guys you know, have some incredible ideas, and we really hope that that comes to fruition. Yeah, that is, an, that is a tremendous idea. And to be utilized food to have those uh, that advantage of having those things added in to be helpful. I mean, it you know, you never know down the road, it might even re replace vitamins. You well, know, that's as what long, they're hoping. As long as, I, yeah, as long as everybody, you know, you know, eats, eats that it doesn't, you know, blow off not eating vegetables. I mean, well, yeah. And, and even more than that, what they're looking at doing is growing the vegetables and then pulling out different cellular components of which then they can pull out. Uh, those components within the cell and then load in things to, to you know, help treat, for example, tumors or different types of cancer. So they, 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 they're just in the early stages of this. So we're really excited about the possibilities to see where this goes. And, and you know, there's extremely smart people doing incredible things to hopefully advance medicine, but using, uh, you know, natural 
components that are already readily absorbable by the human body. Yeah, I mean that that is that is in, uh, to be able to go back and do that research. I'm sure they're working with, uh, or are planning on working with a lot of medical people so that they know what they know how, how to progress with their research. No, and, they and, are, and they've got a number of partnerships, and 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 this is what they do. So. Uh, again, you know, the the freight farm has lots of possibilities. And again, I, you know, again, fundamentally, it does an incredible job at growing crops uh, and growing these leafy greens in a very efficient manner. Um, but then, you know, what we've done is, you know, how can we push that boundary? How can we uh, improve the functionality, combine these systems to increase efficiencies? And that's what we're, we're really sort of looking to do to sort of optimize it. Um, not that we you know, we didn't build a freight farm, but how can we make that freight farm better? For example, combining it with agrivoltaics is one example. Yeah, I think that's a great deal. How can uh, our listeners find out more information about what you're doing uh, down in Tucson? Yeah, great question. So, we, you know, we have a great website. And, and, and remember, Bias for Two is open every day. The only two days that we're closed a year are Thanksgiving and Christmas Day. Uh, but the rest of the time, you can come down and visit Bias for Two. Uh, and so if you want to learn more, go to biasfor2.org. And there you can, we've got tabs about, you know, visit. So you can learn how to visit and what it, you know, what you'll want to do uh, ahead of time. You can buy tickets online. You can buy them in person when you're here. If you want to learn more about our research, we've got a research tab. And so you can dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, we've got a really good YouTube channel. So if you just do a search for Bias for Two, uh, on YouTube, it will come up and we've got some great videos uh, that highlight everything from very specific sort of deep dives into the research that we're doing to more general overviews about some of the really unique features like the ocean that Mel was mentioning and the rainforest. And we have this really cool component of Bias for Two called the lung uh, that was designed to compensate for pressure changes. So all of that uh, you can explore through a series of videos that are found on our YouTube channel as well. That's really, that is really something. And John, thanks so much for your time today. And it's uh, it, it's a great introduction to our listeners to learn more about what you're doing. And we surely want to keep up with, you know, any, any new things that come down the pike as we go into 2024. And uh, I'd love to have you back on the show in the future. Well, I, I really appreciate this opportunity. I, I encourage everybody to come down and visit you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever your preferred social media platform is. And then, you know, Steve and Mel want to get you both down here so you can see what we're doing. And Mel, I think you'll be blown away at the changes from when you visited, you know, those those many years ago to where we are today. I would love to see that, actually. I really would. It's such a cool experience, Steve. You really have to go there. No, we definitely have to make plans. It's on It's on the list for uh, 2024. Abs- there you go. Absolutely. Okay, John, thanks again so much, and we appreciate it. And I uh, urge everybody to take a trip, plan a trip down to Tucson and go to Biosphere 2 and see exactly all the good things down there. And uh, Mel and I will be making plans to go down there. So um, great interview. I appreciate you, John. Thank you, sir. Thank you both very much. All right. All right. That was John Adams from the Biosphere 2 um, and the freight farm that he has down there and the great things that he has uh, been doing the past year and some of the things that are 
coming in the future, coming down the pike that we all have to, you know, some things we have to look forward to and improvements in our lives. And I think that's what we all strive for. But uh, one thing that we want to do is improve our safety. And when it comes to electrical items and Sean LaPointe will be here with Mr. Electric uh, after the break, talking about some of those things that um, you need to be aware of, obviously holiday lighting, you're using a lot more electric and that's when people tend to get careless. And, you know, if you're careless, especially when you're around electric, bad things happen. So we're going to try and make sure you have a safe, healthy and happy holiday. So uh, he will be joining us right after the break. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Chances are, when it's time to call a service professional, you need someone right away. Who can you call for those electrical problems fast? The answer is Mr. Electric, a licensed, bonded, and insured company serving the Valley of the Sun since 2000. Some of their residential and commercial services include expert troubleshooting, replacing an outlet, hanging a ceiling fan, or upgrading your electric service, and much more. Rest assured, all work is guaranteed. Call today for your appointment, 480 480- You can find them on the web at phoenixmetro.mrelectric.com. Remember, at Mr. Electric, we have the power to make things better. You may not believe this, but smart home technology can be traced back to 1975 to the first home automation platform when the X10 was invented. In 48 years, things have come a long way. To truly have a smart home today, the homeowner needs to make a smart decision and call a premier high-tech company. That company is Mythic Sound, Lighting, and Shade. Mythic can simplify your life with home automation, home security, home theater, lighting and shade, plus outdoor and indoor home audio custom designed to fit your lifestyle. For the finest in products and services, visit their website at MythicSLS.com. That's M Y T H I C S L S.com. Or call them today for a free consultation at 602 329 4252. That's 602 329 4252. All right, we are back, and you're listening to the holiday edition of Boxcar Universe, and we want to thank John Adams for being with us from the Biosphere 2. And uh, as I said, you know, if you're uh, taking an extended weekend here in the Valley of the Sun or anywhere in Arizona and uh, you want to go down and uh, check out his freight farm and what he's doing down there, um, some interesting things that uh, are on the horizon and uh, just remember, um, Thanksgiving Day, he is they, the biosphere is closed. Only two days a year, uh, biosphere is closed on Christmas and Thanksgiving. But uh, with us right now is Sean LaPointe from Mr. Electric. And, Sean, how are you doing today? 
Beeb, I'm doing great. Nope. Um, it, it's great that we have uh, you're referencing the uh, biosphere too, because when I was when I was young, I used to have this old Honda Civic, and and uh, you know whenever I you know would eat dinner in the car or whatever, or, or uh, have sunflower seeds, I just chuck them over the back seat, so uh, so the back seat would fill up with all this trash, right? And over time, it created its own ecosystem, and so I just called it the biosphere. <laughs> Oh, that is a story. I always I had to share that with John next time I talk to him. I says he oh, this yeah. is the early versions of of Sean LaPointe uh biosphere. Oh, that is oh, yeah. that story oh, yeah. is priceless. It <laughs> created its own biosphere. Was it still alive and well when you sold the car? So here's an interesting story about this car. So I had gotten hit on a motorcycle and I had a little bit of a, you know, some insurance money come in. And and uh, so I got a credit card and I bought this car on a credit card. Right. Uh, really smart thing to do. But I didn't know any better at the time. Again, <laughs> right. I was young, Just you know? young and foolish. And, yeah. And so um, I drove this car for about 60,000 miles. And uh, the, we had one of these deals. We we're going to trade it in for another car. Right. And so they gave me the same amount of money for the trade-in value as what I paid for it with the credit card. I was, I was pretty flabbergasted, but um, on the way to drop it off at the dealership, the transmission blew up and it would only go in reverse, <laughs> like second gear. <laughs> oh, so, no. Yeah, and so we pull up to the dealership and we dropped it off. And all right, here you go. Have a nice day. And about three days go by. And I get this, I get this call from the dealership, like, "Hey, is this your car out here?" And I said, "Not anymore." <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, not anymore. Oh, that is not uh, anymore. That's is, your guys' car now. That is priceless. Oh my yeah. God, that's that's unbelievable. You know, one of the things that we always like to talk about, you know, especially around the holiday season, um, uh, the things that people do, homeowners do, that, uh, as I said. They just think that they could, you know, I want to run lights outside, you know, and you know, that one thing, Sean, that I see, I think this year more than ever, like the, not just Christmas, but you know, for Thanksgiving in Halloween, especially that more and more homeowners are putting lights outside their home. And I think that, um, a lot of times people don't understand the draw that they're, that they're taking on their, on their, uh, the amount of energy that they're using. And then obviously they're doing that. I mean, you could plug in as much as you want, but just use the right equipment to be able to have that and operate safely. Because, you know, one of the things that one of my pet peeves is for years, you know, I, I can't stand it when I drive around in July and I see people with those icicle lights hanging from their fascia boards. I want to run up to their house, knock on the door, and wring their neck. <laughs> because they don't know what, what they're doing in their home. And then people around Christmas time, when they decide to go plug them in, the sun just destroys the insulation on them. And that's how fires start. And they, people don't realize it. They plug in like, okay, oh, how? why did that happen? Because you let the insulation get burned from the sun when it was 115 degrees in July, like it was now. I mean, I mean, and that's a serious problem. It is a serious problem. Um, but I got to say, though, you know, it used to be, you know, I don't have enough power to run these things. But with the prevalence of uh, LEDs now, I mean, you can literally, um, you know, run a bunch of stuff. But here's the thing. You know, if you look at your LED string, oftentimes they'll say, hey, you can only run a certain amount of length on the string. The caveat is they put a much smaller wire 
to account for the reduced amount of current draw that this new LED stuff you know, only requires. So you got the same, oh, I'm just going to tag uh, 10 or 15 of these or, you know, 20 or 100 or whatever. And, and uh, you know, you end up dealing with the same result. And granted, a lot of the newer ones are fused also. Um, and so I would have to say from a, from a power standpoint, probably not as much of an issue. However, <laughs> the, uh, the sun definitely doesn't do anything for those guys, you know, when they're up there all year long. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 And so you get exposed, you know, exposed conductors and whatnot. And, and, uh, and we find too, that depending on how you're putting those things up, if you're using metal, metal staples and something, that's like a, you know, that's a little bit of a disaster waiting to happen over time too, that, you know, the metal supports right where that insulation starting to get all you know cracked and and uh and uh you know there's a word i'm looking for now no longer as functional as it was it was was yeah so, yeah, yeah absolutely and, it's not it's not performing like it was designed to it's not that's for sure and so now what we're into a lot too is um is you know gfis are required now for all your exterior receptacles and whatnot and uh when they put all this stuff together, any type of moisture, you know, like if the dew point starts coming up or we're in the middle of winter, uh, or maybe even the sprinklers come on and that kind of thing. And if you just plug the stuff in, especially the stuff, everybody loves putting it on their yard. Oh, I got them on my bushes and I got them on my fence. And and uh, and then we get the call and it's like, hey, you know, my stuff worked great until last night and now none of it works. And so we go out there and we troubleshoot it. And what we find is, um, you know, where the connections where they all plug into each other uh, has been compromised by moisture. And that trips your GFI, and then um, and then we have to do a little bit of educational process with the customer, and uh, you know maybe find a way to, to to suitably weatherproof those connections. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. I went by a house the other day on Sunday, and uh, the homeowner was putting it up, and it was like uh, I, it, there was so much in the front yard, Sean, that you could barely see the house. I mean, between lights and blowups and and in in all kinds of different decorations and candy canes and like where's the house i mean there was that much i think it just you know there is a point in time when like if you're oh you don't want to overdo overdo it so to the point where you know you you've got all this it may look nice but on the other hand too how long did it take you to put up and i see people like weeks ago starting to put up christmas lights i mean and it's not even thanksgiving yet but yet they're putting it up now because they want to be ready. I think they should. I think what they should do is go down and see the Pratt Brothers Christmas show down at Rawhide, and then they'll see a lot of lights going on down there. I can't imagine how much how much energy that they're using down there with that light show. Then they, for our listeners, the Pratt Brothers, actually um, Dave Pratt's sons, who was very well known here in the Phoenix area, they created uh, their own. Christmas show of lights and won the contest on, I believe it was ABC last year. And they, they did it again and it's opening uh, on Thanksgiving. And the amount of lights and stuff down there, I can't imagine what the draw is on the lights that they're using. But again, I'm sure that they're probably all LEDs. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Yeah. yeah, those big shows are just just amazing. But those are the places to go see nice, and it's nice to go out. You know, I remember when I was younger, when I first moved to Arizona, one of the things I used to do is you know go see zoo lights. Yeah, because that's you know it's it's nice. You go to the zoo and you see Christmas lights, and you know you take the kids, and it's it's a nice it's a nice outing. But uh, the one thing that I do remember, like when you brought up the point about moisture, you know, like you go out and you see uh, early in the morning 
going out to do repairs on homes and stuff. And I just, you know, you notice that the lines there, first of all, they're lying on the ground, you know, and I think a lot of other things, people used to take indoor lights and lay them outside and they're laying on the ground and they're not, they're meant for indoor. They're not meant for outdoor. And then they're plugged in and there's moisture on the ground. And just like you said, and then um, they wonder why things go bad. But um, some homeowners in the past, they know that, uh, you know, when they had made mention to me that they were going to do Christmas lights and stuff like that, where they actually have, uh, you know, electrician come out and put run outlets uh, under the fascia boards and run lines back into the attic and connect with your panels so that this way they, they have access so that they don't have to run, you know, 50 million extension cords. Another thing we're seeing too now, Steve, is there actually is, it's funny you say you leave them up all year round, but there is some systems being sold by a few manufacturers um, that actually is a year-round solution. Really? It's a, a very robust and uh, um, and uh, it's also, you know, Wi-Fi controllable uh, LED system for your house. Well, that's good that they're coming out with stuff like that because, yeah, I think they probably made adaptations because, you know, Back east, when I lived back in um, New York and Chicago, I mean, you know, the holiday's over. You take your lights down, you know, but a lot of people out here in the in the desert, they, you know, they put it up. And once the holiday's over, they may not turn them on that often. But, you know, it's like out of sight, out of mind. But new technology, this is this is good news because it's going to be a lot better from a safety factor for people that to do that. Um. The one thing that I want to just touch base on is, you know, especially like on the the indoors indoor part of what you do, and you know, a lot of times people um, who are still still using and getting real Christmas trees, uh, you got to be careful what you do with the lights. Like they always say, never leave if you have a real Christmas tree. I'll always make sure that it's watered. And never, ever, ever leave the lights on if you leave the house or or really overnight. I mean, because you never know. I mean, the last thing you want to do is something go wrong and you want to wake up and uh, your house is on fire. I mean, that's just things that you just, you know, this is a holiday season. You want to have a safe holiday season. But uh, that alongside with, um, you know, uh, again, plugging too many things in to outlets that uh, really shouldn't shouldn't be plugged in that many. I mean, they're they, you know, you have uh, a, a, adapters that you could plug into your regular outlet that will allow you to plug in like. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but like six six different plugs, six different. Uh, you know, plugs to plug in, but it's going, it's, it fits into the original outlet that's in the wall. And so you, you don't have to run a molding strip or something like that, that you could plug all your lines into. So it actually plugs in there. And I've seen them with, uh, I believe GFIs, which is, is, is something that's very important because some people, they just, you know, they, they, they don't get it. They have GFI pops. And the first thing they do is, okay, well, let's reset it. But then when it doesn't reset, it doesn't ring a bell in their head like, well, it's not resetting. There's something wrong. I even walked into a house once and I saw somebody who had taped over the GFI so that it wouldn't pop. 
Yeah, I've, uh, I don't know what to say about that, but we do, uh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of something that got brought up here uh, in, a, in a meeting that I have with some of my peers last week. And uh, uh, we were discussing about what's the actual lifetime of a circuit breaker. And uh, when we did some research, what we discovered was kind of eye-opening was that um, really that breaker is only good for one or two, um, you know, we call it a, you know, an overcurrent or a, or, or a safety issue. And beyond that, um, you know, it's recommended that those be replaced. And what's interesting is that even if you got a short condition, you go and you reset that breaker, you know, the breaker sees that short again, it comes on for just a second. And now you got, you know, something on the other end that's probably either sparking or shorting the ground or somehow unsafe. And you're kind of exacerbating that condition on the other end of the line by repeatedly trying to, to you know, re-engage that circuit breaker. And then, and then we, of course, we get the call and it's like, hey, this circuit breaker is bad. And the reality is there's something wrong on the circuit that's causing it to trip. Yeah. And what, like, one thing that I had noticed, um, if, uh, if someone has an outlet in your home, let's say, for instance, in the kitchen. And um, I mean, for the most for the most part, um, when you plug, you know, your coffee maker in or your toaster or something like that, it's fine. You know, um, you know, uh, our good friend Dan Hayden from DEC Inspections, you know, he told me a horror story once and it kind of stuck in my brain. He said because um, he had gone out to a couple of homes, did it some inspections after they had a fire and found out that the appliance had had caught fire because it was plugged in. And so I got into a habit every morning and I plug my coffee maker in and I pull it out. But what happens sometimes is that when you pull the plug out, the GFI trips, why would that happen? You know, it's hard to say. Typically that's a, uh, that's a problem with the appliance. You think it's the appliance? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. That, would, that would be my guess. Or you got a loose connection in the uh, circuit somewhere, you know, when you're wiggling that outlet around and there's, you know, you know, maybe uh, and here's the thing about loose connections is invariably, you know, they, you know, they they create heat, and so your loose connection over time is actually, you know, getting worse just from the the amount of heat that's induced into that loose connection. Mm. So it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. Once it gets a little loose, it's going to get looser and looser, and it's going to get hotter and hotter, and you know, sometimes it can even manifest as a uh, you know melted wiring behind the receptacle or damage to the receptacle. Also, yeah, probably, yeah, because it it it's actually. Um... It doesn't make a difference if it's the coffee maker or the toaster, it you know, and which plug it's plugged into. It's just it either or. So I'm kind of my thought was that maybe the GFI is going bad. Uh, it's hard to say. Um, you know, um, we find that when they go bad, they just don't reset. Um, but there could be, you know, like I said, really it's something like this um, really leads me to think that you might want to get an electrician out there, Steve. Yeah. I think, I think I need to, well, it's, it's, it's an apartment. So I, I think know a I great bet, company you can use. I know that I can always tell them. I only want Mr. Electric to come out and look at my, it's the only, <laughs> the only company I trust. Uh, but yeah, but it's, it's a time, it's a time of the season that I just want everybody to understand that, you know, when, um, you know, as we talk, I think electric and also the other area that that gets abused during the holiday season is your plumbing. You know, because I know I've had some of the guests we've had on the show in the past, you know, where, you know, the one thing that um, family members decide to do, they think that anything and everything could be put through the garbage disposal. 
So what's the main thing? In fact, the day after the holiday, I don't care if it's Christmas or New Year's or Christmas or, or Thanksgiving, that that's their busiest time of the day, of the year because they're, they're, all the drains get clogged. So it's like these are times that you need to be careful and use common sense and just I know you've got friends and family over, but be sensible. And if you are planning on doing a lot of electric um, with your decorations and things like that, um, please make sure that you, you use common sense and, um, uh, don't overload what you have. And again, if you've got older and like Sean, it's said now, you know, with all the advent of led lighting and stuff like that, the, the amount of current that you can draw on is a whole lot less. If you have older lights, maybe it's time to, you know, do an upgrade and get them changed and, and, and get those LED strands in. I mean, Lord knows you can go to any big box store, Home Depot, Lowe's, and they have, you know, Target or wherever you, wherever you see Christmas decorations. I mean, then they were out in, they were out at Halloween time. I mean, they were just started early. Yeah. Like the next thing, the next thing I want to see is, you know, during Halloween is when they have all those, those, uh, those big blowups and all those mechanical, you know, scarecrows and stuff like that. And, and things I want to see, I want to see them decorated for Christmas because they're, they're pushing it on us more and more earlier in the year. Why don't we just take them all, put them together and have all these Halloween people stringing Christmas lights up. That would be funny. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I think it'd be a great idea. And then look at it this way. It's going to save money. They won't have to change. They won't have to change the, you know, the display. And they and they have people. I mean, is that is that the is that the uh, Dubell uh, AI solution to the problem? <laughs> I was just going to bring that up. That's hilarious. Yeah. So maybe you have it where you know your 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 AI knows what season it is and just reprograms your lighting to you know to be suitable for the holiday. Oh my God! Like it's just it's just amazing at what what they can do with technology now. But Sean, thanks so much for taking time out today and um, and uh, again. If any of our listeners are in the uh, Phoenix or Copa County area, make sure that if you have any electrical problems, Sean, give them your contact information, please. Oh, my gosh. You can always find us on social media or the web. Just look up Mr. Electric. We're the only one in town. Uh, phone number is 480-503-2426 and, uh, and uh, MrElectric.com. And uh, speaking of AI, I got to tell you, Steve, uh, this has been an AI-generated version of Sean from Mr. Electric. The real Sean's actually out <laughs> on the uh, golf course right now. And he didn't call me. He must have had the foursome was full. Sean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. the best to you and Tracy, and have a great uh, Thanksgiving. Thanks, and thanks, uh, and we'll see it. and we'll see you well. soon uh, over at Vibene's. Awesome. All right. Sounds good. John LaPointe from Mr. Electric. Thanks, Steve. Uh, all right. We'll talk to you soon. We're going to take a short break, and we have a special guest coming on that is on, you know, around the holidays. Mary Heitmeyer from Chef Du Jour has your holiday recipe that we're going to share with you. A special treat from Boxcar Universe. Don't go away.
Stardust Building Supplies is your home improvement thrift store. Find salvaged and gently used cabinetry, doors, windows, appliances, lighting, plumbing, and much more. Save money, be green, and support the community. Shop and donate at Star Building Supplies Valley locations. For more info, visit stardustbuilding.org. Hi, I'm Steve Dubell from Ideal Home Improvement. The uncertainty of our economy is very troublesome. Interest rates are rising and inflation is high. The utility cost of energy is forever rising. The good thing is that we as homeowners can do something about our energy bill right now and in the future. Solar energy is literally the best investment you can make at this moment and the most likely to steady your finances through uncertain times. Think about this. If you could have locked down the cost of your energy bill 10 years ago, would you have done it? I think your answer would be yes. Think of the savings you could be enjoying right now as your neighbors who don't have solar are at the mercy of the utility companies. Let Ideal Home Improvement review your energy bill and see what a solar system on your home can do for your family and budget. Just give us a call at 602-332-6203 or email us at steve at idealhomeimprovementaz.com. Let me help you start saving today. Back and you're listening to Boxcar Universe, and, and uh, I think I think that that uh, train is all the turkeys on it for Thanksgiving because I mean there's a lot of people. People should know. I just you know uh, the food situation, and you know our next guest and I, Mary Heitmeyer from Chef Du Jour, we were talking about this earlier today. Is just horrendous with. Uh, prices and everything else that are going mm-hmm. out there. And uh, Mary, welcome to Boxcar Universe. Thanks for taking time out to uh, share your traditional holiday recipe with us. Well, it's good to see you, Steve. I missed you. Yeah, I, I know. Have... It's been, it's been, yeah. it's been months here, but you know, now that you're moved back, now so. that, yeah, now that you're back in the Valley of the Sun, yeah, yeah don't be a stranger. I told you before I get started, I got to finish my outfit. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. There we go. Uh, uh, she's got her. She's got to represent this it, Friday. It's a big game. There you got. All right. Every, we were talking about that early in the show with our guest from Tucson from the Biosphere. You know, it's just, it's the traditional ASU U of A game on uh, Thanksgiving the big, weekend. The biggest rivalry in the nation is uh, Ohio State, Michigan. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. That's... Yeah, we got tickets one year and they told us they were harder to get than Super Bowl, than Stanley Cup, than World Series. Wow. Yeah. But we've had people go to that school for years. So we still have family there. You get student tickets and have to listen to them sing dirty songs during the game. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. With your at the time 70 something year old father. Oh <laughs> uh, wow. You know, tr- you know, there's nothing there's nothing like tradition you know <laughs> that's amazing well it's definitely going to be a great weekend and uh it's going to be a good time for all everybody and you know one of the things that i want to i saw a post the other day and i want to uh reach out to, and uh say this to all our listeners you know one of the things that we want to always say thanksgiving we want to be thankful for things that we have as well as we want to thank 
all the families of all the fallen servicemen and women who protect our country because they have given the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, we all want to say thank you to all of them, past and present, because uh, without them, we couldn't do what we're doing now. And, and to uh, their families that are home alone on absol- Thanksgiving while their husbands and wives, wives, you know, mothers, daughters, whatever, are deployed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, they're, and they're probably going to be there for a while. So uh, we want to make sure they all come home. But uh, share with us your uh, holiday recipe for our, our listeners that are just dying to make something special. Well, well, maybe not dying, but... <laughs> well, because everything's so expensive now, I wanted to do something that was really fast, really easy, very inexpensive, and like I was telling Steve a little bit ago, even a baby could do it. So There you go. I'll give you the ingredients quickly. There's like four. You buy a cake mix, any flavor you want, chocolate, confetti, lemon. Um, you get an eight-ounce tub of Cool Whip and let it sit till it gets a little bit soft and one egg and a bowl that you pour some powdered sugar in. So you mix your Cool Whip with your egg and your cake mix and then get a little ice cream scoop. I like the ones with the clicker on it and you plop them about two tablespoons each into the powdered sugar, maybe four at a time, roll them in that, place them on a prepared baking sheet, either with parchment paper or cooking spray, or there's a really good one called Baker's, oh my gosh, Baker's Friend, it's a blue and white can, and it already has flour and um, the like a spray thing in it. And you just dump them on in the powdered sugar, roll them, stick them in a 350 preheat oven, wait 12 minutes to 15 max, and you have the most delicious Pretty, flavorful cookies. They're chewy. If you want to cook them a little longer, they will get crispy on the edges and be chewy in the middle. Sets uh, a bag of them with Steve to the studio. And I don't know if he shared them with his partner over there, but well, Mel, yeah, Mel had to zoom in. So I told her I showed her the bag. She had to she had to miss out. So oh. maybe I'll have to send some over to her because she only lives downtown Phoenix. Yeah, I think you should. I think so. so. Tomorrow I'm going to buy like a red velvet. So I'll have like a red and white one and I'll probably do like a confetti and lemon. So they're pretty. They're super easy. They're inexpensive. And I haven't met anybody that doesn't like them unless you're somebody who doesn't like sweets or that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, this is the time that people turn around and they they want to uh, indulge themselves a little bit before the holidays. So I think uh, as long as they stay true to the air, if they're on a program or they're, they're going to the gym, just, you know, you know, like they always say, one day you can go off of it. It's not going to kill you. Well, these definitely aren't for people with diabetes, but I know they have special cake mixes out there that are sugar-free. And then you just don't roll them in the powdered sugar. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And then you can have these two, and it's one less step. Well, I know I've I have a friend who um, who made me a um, a pumpkin roll last year, and when I saw her at church on Sunday, she says, "Oh, by the way, when you stop by the house, I have another pumpkin roll for you." I'm like, 
really? <laughs> like, let's, <laughs> yay. yay. I said, I think I got some powdered sugar left. I mean, she says, don't throw it away. You may want it just because, yeah, because, you know, she, she made it and she froze. And then I take, I brought it home and I free, freeze it. And then anytime I want something, I just slice off the piece that I want to frost it and uh-huh. and maybe put a little fresh sugar on it, you know, powdered sugar on it. And and it's it's just a it's it's dessert for like two weeks. <laughs> well, I got a chef trick for you. If you run out of powdered sugar, yeah, you take regular sugar and stick it in the blender, and it turns it into powdered sugar. Wow, really? Yeah, nothing, cool? just just regular sugar. Yeah, just wow. regular cane sugar, and just put it through the blender on high, and you will come out with powdered sugar. Colin, you got that. <laughs> make sure you add that to your repertoire of all the other things that you do you know electronic <laughs> electronics is his thing i don't know how domestic he is but uh he enjoyed the cookies i'm glad really but and again easy to make and inexpensive yeah. and in these times holy guacamole i know i bought a turkey today it's like get one every year from the same place if i don't cook one Last year they were fifty nine. This year they were seventy five dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I could. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be. It'll be amazing. But uh, no, it's it's something we all have to deal with for the time being. You know, we all have to find a way to make do, and um, people are definitely sacrificing. But you know, holiday season. Uh, Sometimes you can't have everything that you usually have. So uh, you got to live within your budget unless you've got. I think people go too crazy as well. They have a whole big thing of appetizers and then all these dishes for dinner. And so hardly any of it gets eaten by the time it's put on the table. Everybody's full. I know. It's so much time and effort that you're putting in when you could be sitting around chit chatting if you make a simpler like one appetizer and a much simpler dinner. I think you're right because a lot of times, you know, if if somebody likes to do it, my friend uh, up in Desert Mountain, she loves to do a big spread and there's always a, like an assortment of appetizers and I have to just, okay, I can't, I can't have too much of this or too much of that because, you know, it's like that old thing of the kid in the candy store. You go in and you want, all you know, I want everything, everything. <laughs> and if you have everything, there's no room for the main course or dessert. So it's like exactly you, you got. I think you're right. That's smart words from our from our uh, famous chef Mary Heitmeyer. Well, the, the last three years, that's what I've been doing. I've been making it a lot more simpler, more simple. Sorry, bad yeah. English. And um, it's just more enjoyable. You get to taste a little bit of everything. There's still leftovers. People aren't laying on the couch trying to keep their eyes open after they've, you know, had their turkey dinner. Oh, shucks. <laughs> I can't do that. No, that's what happens. Yeah, it's the, it's what, it was like my mom told me when I was a kid, it's the tryptophan in the turkey that makes you want yeah. to just go to sleep for a while. Yeah, so. definitely. You can even actually buy it in pills to help you with your sleep. Oh my God. I think we need to give Dan some tryptophan. That's it. I need to I give Dan some tryptophan. That. Yeah, that'll make him go to sleep. All right. Mary, thanks so much for you taking time to be on the show today. And thank you so much again for the uh the sample cookies. They're really, really good. And they're certified by Colin, so they're great. Oh, 
right. Mary Heitmeyer from Chef Du Jour. I want to thank her for taking time out to be on the show today. And as we have special holidays, Mary always comes in with a great recipe for us. So this way our listeners can do something special for their friends and family. But uh, we want to remind everybody and uh, thank everybody for listening to Boxcar Universe. Remember, we are your source for cutting-edge information on container homes and container pools. So let Mel and I design and build your next dream container home. You can always reach us at boxcarliving at gmail.com and steve at boxcaruniverse.com. And we can be heard on most any podcast player Just search for Boxcar Universe. And always remember, let us containerize your lifestyle. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great weekend. You're a great American. I love you.